Welcome to our podcast, Revelation Conversations. I'm Steve Goble. I'm here with Ken Carson and Kyle Hatfield, who are part of our teaching team. And at this point, you should be familiar with their voices. Ken and Kyle, thanks for joining me again. We're honored to have you guys. Amen. This is going to be fun. Yes. So uh, once again, our purpose behind doing this has been to unpack more from the book of Revelation and to supplement the Sunday teachings as our church, Ecclesia Eugene, has gone through the book of Revelation. Uh, It can be a very overwhelming book for people, and so we've uh, been trying to bring more clarity to it. Uh, We actually just finished our series this past Sunday on the book of Revelation, and we've heard uh, from some of you and wanted to share some of the takeaways that you've responded with. But before we do that, Uh, There were a couple more last-second questions that came in, and so we wanted to make sure we answered those. And one of the questions that came in uh, was, uh, why did heaven need to be remade? Uh, We talked uh, a couple weeks ago on Sunday about the new heavens and the new earth, and so this question came about uh, in reflecting upon that. Uh, why did heaven need to be remade? We know that the earth was fallen and all of that, but why heaven? So, guys, what's the response to that? Well, I would start by saying heaven isn't always just necessarily the dwelling place of God. It also, in Scripture, can just refer to the sky, the place where the stars are, the the, the universe is what we would call mm-hmm. it, uh, and all of creation, be it the, the heavens, the universe. It's not just the earth that's going to be recreated it seems that all of creation, all of the universe is going to be recreated. So I think that might be part of it. Genesis 1 says God created the heavens and the earth. So when we get to Revelation, God's going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth. It's 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 connecting us back to Genesis chapter 1. Yeah, it's offering a holistic vision of God's redemption of, of the created world. So it's not just the, the globe that we are on. It, it is every single thing in in the physical universe is is being uh restored but also uh resurrected into that that higher form i I also think that there's a there's a uniting of heaven and earth that we see at the end as well Mm -hmm. because god comes and dwells on earth with man and and so there is a, a a reconnecting of heaven and earth together kind of a blending that takes place um, mm-hmm. sort, of, sort of a restoration of that Garden of Eden where, where man dwells with God and God walks with man. And, and so there's a, there's a combining, there's a mixing, there's a, uh, a uniting of heaven and earth that we see, I think, at the end of Revelation. And so there, that's part of that recreation of heaven and earth as well. Right. And, and when we talk about that heaven, that's the final destination of believers, uh, one of the other ways we see heaven used in Scripture is the dwelling place of God. Mm-hmm. And so what we need to be able to distinguish there is the dwelling place of God, or or we could call it like the current heaven, that's an intermediate heaven. That's not the final destination for all believers where we will dwell uh, in the presence of God. And so uh, we need to remember that that there's differences there, just like you guys uh, shared as well. The, you know, the heavens was also used of, of the sky, you know, uh, and where the birds are flying and all of that, where the clouds are. And so uh, that's important for us to understand and know that in Revelation, it's talking about everything. 
everything will be renewed. Everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yep. the, the dwelling place uh, of God, that that heaven uh, is just wherever God is. And, right. and so when, when Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't like then create a place for him to be. He always mm-hmm. was. Uh, so wherever God dwells is that heaven, that highest heaven that we talk about. And right. in Revelation, we see God's dwelling place coming down to earth, to the created order, and uh, he is now dwelling with with mankind. Which is really what's so remarkable about Revelation 21. It's not that we go to heaven to be with God. It's that God comes to the new earth to be with us. Mm-hmm. And therefore, that creates that, that makes it heaven right. because he's here. Right. Um, and so, it's it, to me, that's even more remarkable than the, just the thought of, oh, we get to go up to some ethereal place in the sky. It's knows that God comes to dwell with us in this new creation of his. Yeah, it, it's like taking the incarnation to uh, its highest point, basically. Uh, the incarnation, the, the son comes down, becomes a man. He's in the physical world, in history and time. And now uh, it's God's full presence. He is... Uh, co- heaven has come down to earth. The dwelling place of God is now with man, and uh, mm. and there there's no need for a temple, and there's no there's no now highest heaven that we escaped. It's all right here, uh, in, in this physical place. Uh, there's no need for the sun in the yeah. st- or or the stars because yeah. God's glory is now that what everything that the energy that's provided by those things as well. So it is that con- connecting of heaven and earth. Great. The the last question that was. Uh, sent in and I'll, I'll condense it, but it essentially it was asking the question of, are we going to be able to physically touch Jesus in the new heavens, the new earth? Um, y- y- and the question comes from, you know, they were able to touch Jesus clearly clinging to his feet and running up to him and uh, when he was on the earth. But then when John is is describing what he's seen and when he sees the glorified Christ, he doesn't run up or hug Jesus or touch Jesus. And so uh, essentially the question is, are, are we going to be able to, to touch Jesus uh, in the new heaven, new earth? Yeah. I think, I think, yes, I think we will. <laughs> I mean, Jesus has a new physical body that he will have in the new heaven and the new earth. So there's no reason why we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to physically touch. If, if, if we're going to ask why it is that we don't see John go up and run up to Jesus, John, remember, is seeing this in a vision. Mm-hmm. He, he's not actually there present because um, that's, a, that's a yet future thing. So right. he's seeing something in the future, but so he can't, he's not physically there. He's right. just seeing the vision. So I, I think that's why we don't see him doing that. But yet, Jesus is going to have a physical body. We're going to have a physical body. We'll be able to touch him. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's important to separate um yeah, John's vision versus what the the ultimate reality will be that that we experience. I mean, John even in Revelation twenty one through twenty two, he refers to Jesus as the Lamb, and so that's not to mean that Jesus is going to be appearing as a physical Lamb. So we have to remember that John John is still using uh, symbolic language to to help us, uh, you know, grasp deeper truths through these symbols than than just describing. Uh, in black and white, you know, dry language uh, of what this will be like and, and what it will be like to to be in Jesus's presence. Um, but I think the key is when John says in 22 verse 4, they will see his face uh, because, you know, it's not just how, how we normally think like, oh, I'll see their face, like I mm-hmm. see him on Zoom or something. But uh, in, in, you know, ancient Near East cultures, 
talking about seeing someone face to face or being face to face with them implied an intimate relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that's why, um, you know, uh, when Moses is like, I want to see your face, God. And he says, no one can see my face because at that time, sin was separating us from that most intimate relationship with God. But he says, you can see my back to Moses. But now, because sin is no longer separating us, we can see his mm-hmm. face. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think another piece too, you know, when, when you were talking about uh, he's getting this vision, you know, what we see John, what he does do is the, the one person that's with him, he's so amazed by what he's seen, but he can't, he can't go and grab Jesus or or that. So what does he do? The only thing that's that's real next to him is this angel. So he bows down and and, and worshiping the angel, yeah. Yeah. you know, because the angel's with him. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think if he could have, he would have ran to Jesus, you know, uh, in that moment for sure. And and so that that's kind of the answer to that question. Let's go into the responses and takeaways. And this is kind of twofold. We're going to share kind of some of the responses that that we had. Uh, as we studied and went through this um, and takeaways, but then also we're going to share some that uh, we heard from you and and the takeaways that you guys shared with us. And so, you guys, what are some takeaways that that you had, and then also some that you just heard from some of uh, the people that have walked through this series with us? Well, I'll start with a conversation I had with someone uh, even just this morning about Revelation. Uh, I was talking with and just asked what what did you get out of Revelation, and he said, you know, I. I used to be afraid of the mm. book of Revelation. I would avoid it, you know. He said the first time he read through Revelation was when he um, was decided to read through the whole Bible, and he was kind of like got stuck. I have to read it because I'm reading through the whole Bible, <laughs> but he'd never really read it through because it was just too weird, and, yeah. and there's a certain fear. And uh, he said, having gone through this now, that fear is gone. He, he sees Revelation not as something that we fear, but it's actually something that motivates us. It creates a sense of urgency, and a sense of longing in us. And uh, so he no longer is afraid of it because of yeah. what we've gone through together as a church. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, one of the feedbacks I received, you know, along those lines was was just how um, the the fear of revelation, because just wrath has just been, you know, uh, and judgments has been kind of the, the focal point and what's been proclaimed, you know, about the book. And so uh, I think, and, and I think part of that is how it's been been taught and what's been emphasized. And so I think I've been encouraged to hear so many people talk about, man, how how good uh, God is, even in the midst of it. And they've never had that view of God, of how good he is, how, how, how not just angry and mad, and that's the book of Revelation, but there's so much grace uh, and, um, and mercy, and God is continuing to make himself known to these people the invitation to receive him throughout. Uh, that's even one of the takeaways I had that was encouraging. So yeah, mm. yeah, that was a good one. Well, uh, a couple takeaways that that I personally ha- have had through just, you know, diving deep into Revelation um, has been how, how these two things have sort of formed my, my moral imagination. Like it's changed how I see the world and operate in the world. And when I read about something in the headlines or anything like that, um, the the first would be um, just that view of God's justice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're you're totally right. Like God's wrath can just feel like this like scary, overbearing thing or something we like have to apologize for. Like, oh yeah, we know that God's got that wrath thing. You know, that's his thing. But you know, that's he's God, so we're just gonna let it happen. And um, but um, 
learning to see God's justice as good. Um, we, because we know God will judge sin and evil, uh, what that means is I don't have to seek vengeance on my own when I'm wronged. Instead, I can forgive. I can love my enemies, as Jesus says uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. I, I can let go of those things and trust that the Lord will make things right. He is the one who will bring ultimate justice. And yeah, we should defend the vulnerable and seek justice on their behalf totally, but we also need to know that our efforts are never going to be complete. Uh, And that's where the Lord comes in and and knowing how it's all going to end. He doesn't turn a blind eye to evil. We see all this awful stuff, war, oppression, uh, sexual assault, corruption, uh, extortion. I could go on. Um, And and yet God doesn't turn a blind eye to that. It can feel like that sometimes, but we know that in the end, he is going to judge evil and the victims of Babylon will be vindicated. And that's a good thing. We have a God who mm-hmm. who doesn't mm-hmm. shrug at that. And yeah. and, um, and so it, it's been great to see that as a, learn to see that as a good thing. Yeah. I, I think too often as the church, we, we almost are apologetic about God's wrath. We know it's in there. It's in the Bible. So we have to teach it, but we're kind of like embarrassed by it. And, and I think seeing God's wrath from that perspective changes that. That God's wrath is not opposite of his love. It's part of his love. Mm-hmm. Because his wrath, in in first of all, his wrath is there to bring about repentance. Uh, it, it's, it's a way to get people's attention. But secondly, it's his protection of his people. That this, this is written to people who are being actively persecuted. And Jesus is saying, I see your persecution, and those who are persecuting you will not go unpunished. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's an act of his love, and it's not something we need to be apologetic for, or something that we need to avoid, or something that we're embarrassed by. But we should we should rest in it, seeing that that is an aspect of God's love for us. Yeah. And, we're in a culture that is crying out for justice, and and the awesome thing is like, yeah, no, God wants justice too, and He's going to bring it. Uh, he He actually has something that answers that that deep longing in your heart for justice. But you can't have justice without wrath. Exactly. And, 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 <laughs> and sometimes we want to separate that. We want to separate that, but you yep. can't. Yeah. Yep, totally. And, and uh, it's we want him to judge other people's sins, but may, maybe not mine. And that's where we do get uncomfortable with wrath. But if we want him to judge evil, we, we need to know that he's got to deal with my sin. And, and that's where the beauty of the cross comes in, mm-hmm. because he did deal with it mm-hmm. on the cross. Um, the second way how it's formed my moral imagination is, is just hope. Um, mm. we know how the story will end, uh, to, uh, I, I paraphrase Tolkien a lot, but, uh, you know, when he, uh, Gandalf is talking to Sam Gamgee and he, he thought Gandalf was dead and he wakes up and, and he's like, wait, I'm not dead. Gandalf's not dead. Is everything sad going to be untrue? And mm-hmm. the answer is yes. yes. <laughs> everything sad will, will be untrue. And when you have that hope, Nothing can truly touch you. You don't need to fear Babylon. So Babylon uh, can, you know, do all, you know, it's going to do all all this uh, awful evil. It's going to inflict suffering on you. And ultimately, it can't uh, shake you. It can't truly touch you. Um, uh, When Tim Keller was asked on a a podcast, uh, what would you say to young Christians who are fearful of the future? And and I'm going to paraphrase this because it was kind of a long quote. But he said, and, and keep in mind, this is while he knows he's dying of cancer. Um, and uh, and so he says, um, if Jesus 
Christ was actually raised from the dead, and when he's saying if, he means he is, you know, because he was raised from <laughs> right. the dead, if he really got up, walked around, and talked to hundreds of people, then you know uh, that everything's going to be all right. What, whatever you're worried about, whatever you're afraid of, everything is going to be okay. Because we're not just talking about resurrected people, but we're talking about a resurrected world. And there's plenty of other religions that talk of a future afterlife, but uh, you know, when they do that, they talk about a non-material world. It's a consolation for what you have lost. Christianity says it's not just your bodies that will be resurrected, but a material world that will be cleansed from all suffering and sin. If Jesus Christ was ra raised from the dead, then the whole world is going to be, in some sense, resurrected, and everything is going to be all right. And that's what saw Tim Keller through to mm -hmm. the end of his life, that deep, deep mm -hmm. hope. When you have the hope, you can live faithfully when Babylon says, uh, assimilate, follow us, be like us, uh, bow down to our idols. But you can you can just trust Jesus with mm -hmm. the rest and, and walk faithfully uh, with that hope in your heart. Man, isn't that exactly what this world needs? Yeah. I mean, we look at the, the rate of anxiety and depression and mm. just worry that, that seems to be just a cloud over our culture today, just desperately desiring and needing hope. You know, the, you, you talk to young people and they're, they're looking at a future where they think, you know, climate change is going to destroy everything yeah. or politics is ruining everything or war now is causing. Yeah. And there's just this, this sadness at looking at the future of the world. And they're so desperate for hope. And we've got hope. The world yeah. will be recreated. Jesus is coming back. We will live with him forever. And there's there's hope in that. And, yeah. and what a message we we have for a world that's desperately needing it. Yeah, when, when we're consumed by fear or anxiety, it's because we're, we're afraid to lose something. We think if we lose that thing, then, then it, it's the end of the world for mm -hmm. us. And uh, I love what um, Herman Boving says. He says that Christ gives more than sin took away. So mm -hmm. at, at the resurrection, mm -hmm. in the new earth, uh, he gives, we're so afraid of these things being taken away, and he's saying, no, 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 you don't understand. He's going to give more than you could ever imagine. Uh, anything that sin and death takes away, Christ gives that much more. Yeah. I'm reminded of, uh, I was just looking at this before we started this podcast, The uh, just the no mores that we see uh, in the new heaven and the new mm. earth, you know, and just mm. walking so through good. and walking through that, like there is no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, and just walking through what he's saying is no more, and how that just continues to uh, excite us as to, like you're saying, what is to come, the hope that's to come, you know, the the hope that even uh, Tim Keller spoke about, you know, so often uh, before he passed, you mm -hmm. know. Um, here's some other takeaways that we heard from, from other people. Um, one uh, was just and this was just someone being totally honest just came up to me and said you know i didn't know that there were other positions that you could have outside of a tree trib pre-mill position and they were just blown away that there were actual other uh positions and uh and so they shared that um uh, another person wrote in and said i'll be hard pressed to not overshare all i've learned and how god's met me in this book and applied it to our season of life right now, which is just so encouraging uh, how God's word is able to do that. Um, uh, another person uh, wrote in and said, I never realized how much of the Old Testament is in Revelation. Mm. It has made me so excited to study the Old Testament 
uh, more. Yes. And uh, I think that's, <laughs> that's, fantastic. that's exciting. Cause you know, I, I think that just like, you know, I think Ken, you were, or Kyle, one of you were just sharing how, uh, the the tendency to avoid revelation. I think right now the Old Testament as a whole has become that as well. So many people are just uh, avoiding the Old Testament because there's so many things that they read in it, just like Revelation. They read it and they go, oh my goodness, well, God's angry, he's mad, or, or this just is crazy. And I think in the Old Testament, a lot of times we read it, if we don't understand it, uh, we read it and we go, what in the world? Why is God so angry? Why is he mad? Why is he doing this? And um, and, and yet we, we see, uh, not only in revelation, we, we learn so much, uh, more about who God is, the justice of God, uh, the end, uh, but we also, we see how he uses and takes the old Testament and how important the old Testament is, how, how important the old Testament, uh, was to Jesus's life and how Jesus throughout his ministry quoted the old Testament. And so, uh, I, I'm excited for this person uh, that is that is seeing how the Old Testament unlocks uh, so much of what we saw in Revelation. Yeah, I loved how you would you would bring that up again and again, Steve, when you would teach that that when when John couldn't find words to say, he defaulted back to Old Testament language. Yeah, and, yeah. and I love that because it helped us to understand why is he saying the things he is. They seem mm-hmm. weird, but it's only weird if we don't really understand our Old Testament, and so. I think that was really important for me to to kind of see beyond just sort of the mm-hmm. the surface level of what Revelation was, but to see the connect interconnectedness of Revelation to the rest of the mm-hmm. Bible, and it mm-hmm. really opened up kind of my understanding a little bit more of mm-hmm. what what actually is John doing here, what is he seeing, and it is a reminder that Revelation is actually a fulfillment of what God has laid out from the whole of the Bible, from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament and the yeah. New Testament. It's not just the end of the New Testament, it's the end of all of the scripture. And he's connecting all of those promises that God has laid out from the very beginning in the book of Revelation. Yeah, God is telling one big story about his redemption of the world and of mankind. Mm-hmm. I think an a, a important takeaway for me was, in a, I, think, I think a lot of us struggle with this when we read the book of Revelation. Uh, and and I think part of it too, to be honest, is I, I I think that's kind of the expectation that we approach it this way. But I think the the thing that was refreshing for me was I was able to not make myself the point and my current culture the point of the book as I read it, and that really uh, helped me. And it's been something I've tried to encourage other people with as well. Uh, one of the the places that we get so hung up on is trying to figure out the imagery in that in light of what's happening today, right? In other words, who's the antichrist right now? What is the mark of the beast? I just heard about this new technology. Uh, they're putting it in our brains or, or, you know, like now I'm going to be able to buy this on Amazon with my, my, you know, my hand and all this and just all these things. And we're like, okay, is it that? Is it that? And, and are these other images, what are these things? And, and I think that, you know, we're all tempted to, to go that route. We're all tempted to, you know, make ourselves the point. And uh, what's been really helpful is, is trying to go back and go, man, what was it like, you know, as this is being read to these early churches, and you think of these seven specific churches going through this intense suffering uh, this struggle to not compromise and being called out, 
uh, for certain things and and being warned uh, and all of that. And I think what's been really helpful for me is going back and trying to put myself in those shoes and uh, and then building it up. And and so I think that that's been something that's really been helpful for me uh, mm-hmm. as I've studied this book this time. <laughs> <laughs> I found this time around studying it, um, I had a, a, an expanded understanding of, uh, especially the symbolism. This is not by any means the first time that I've read through Revelation. I took a class in seminary on Revelation. I've, I've taught classes on Revelation, but but every other time I've either been taught or taught it myself, I would start kind of in the introduction saying, okay, here's the four major hermeneutical approaches to Revelation. And then I would leave that aside, and I would teach the rest of it mm. from just one hermeneutical perspective. Mm-hmm. But this time around, it was different. This time, as, as we went through it, I was able to see contributions that all the different hermeneutic approaches would provide to that. And it brought for me, I think, such a richer and deeper um, understanding of what uh, what John was actually saying there. Um, I, was, I was a lot more able to see perspectives, and that brought a richness that I hadn't seen before. I, I haven't changed my um, my inter- interpretive approach mm-hmm. as a result of that. I'm still I still approach it the same way I did before, but um, by by looking at it at my sort of purely literal viewpoint, it kind of robbed Revelation of its interconnectedness to the rest of Scripture. Mm. And so I was able to benefit this time. I remember when we we did the podcast on the pros and cons of the different approaches. That mm-hmm. kind of really opened up my eyes to saying, hey, there is something to contribute from different viewpoints mm-hmm. of this. That brought a richness to this that I hadn't seen before. Yeah, I, I, I think trying to study and teach it, and not force everybody into one funnel, has been so helpful. I mean, it added a lot of hours of study, but, <laughs> uh, but it was it was so, um, and, and it's kind of weird, it's counterintuitive, but it was so humbling, honestly, because I think you know, just like you can, I've kind of always okay, this is my position. And then everything I, I read in Revelation, I I push it to that funnel of mm-hmm. where I land. And what's been helpful about this was, I've, I, for me, is I tried to guard against doing that. Mm-hmm. And I found a deeper appreciation. And I found myself being humbled by going, man, that, that position, they have a very strong case there. I can totally see that. Whereas before... I wouldn't have even, I don't think, acknowledged that mm-hmm. um, or seen that. And and so I it's been refreshing uh for me to to look at that and have a deeper appreciation for the the positions. Mm. Well, and those different positions that I that I haven't really allowed allowed myself to look through um actually opened up my eyes to to seeing what John is actually saying there mm-hmm. maybe differently than what I had thought before. Mm. Because because I had been narrowly focused on that. Yeah. It could only mean this. Yeah. And and maybe he means this and that. Yeah. It, it, you know, mm-hmm. I, it wasn't always an either or. Sometimes it can be a both and. That there is, maybe there is a literal fulfillment, but there is a symbolism to that literal fulfillment that we're missing in that mm-hmm. in that regard. And so I think it it opened up my perspective in and just brought a, a new a new freshness to it, a new mm-hmm. light to it. Like I said, I haven't changed my viewpoint, but I've, but I feel my viewpoint has been enhanced mm-hmm. by hearing the voices of other believers and the how they perceive it. Yeah, uh, in a way I hadn't seen before. It shows how deep Scripture is. That yeah. you, it's not just like you scrape the surface and that's all there is. But instead, you can just dive deeper and deeper and deeper and and find more and more gems down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
on a on a more personal note, I I will say this time through, uh, I was I was convicted, especially a couple of Sundays, uh, of my own idolatry and of my own love for the things of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we looked at Revelation seventeen and we we saw the prostitute is trying to, I think you wait the way you put it is trying to seduce us away from our bridegroom, mm-hmm. um, seduce us away from Christ. Man, that really hit me about how comfortable I really am in living mm-hmm. in this world. Um, and how easy it is for me to just blend in. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm just, just normal life, just going to work, yeah. making money, you know, shopping at, shopping at the store, going on vacation, how easily it just becomes really comfortable to be here. And it just kind of showed me, man, it's really easy to fall into that love for the world and to see how Satan is using that through Babylon to lead people astray. Yeah, um, and how ultimately Satan will actually even turn his back on Babylon once he's through with Babylon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How he will he will do that, and it's like I, I'm pursuing this, and Satan's just using it as a tool to get to me. Right. Well, that was eye opening, and it just kind of made me rethink where where is where is my happiness? Where do I where do I find my joy? Is it is it in the things of this world, or is it ultimately in Christ? And that was that was a great warning out of I think that was Revelation 17. Yeah, I man, as you were saying that too, you you think of the decisions you make in life. You know, if you're married, uh, you, there's decisions you make, uh, and you make them because you want to help guard your mind and your heart so that you can be faithful to your bride. And I think mm-hmm. as we were talking about, you know, that you know the way he speaks in that language of the bride and the bridegroom. I know for me, it's like, man, there's there's a lot of decisions I make in life to to help me remain faithful to you know my wife who I made a covenant before God with, and I think of just in in our lives there are uh, going to be so many decisions that that we need to make as Jesus followers to be to remain faithful uh, to the bridegroom, and I think that. Man, that's such a different way of of looking at things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the comfort thing, yeah, it is convicting because you you think about what is what is Christ calling uh, his his people to in Revelation is to reject comfort, to endure suffering, and uh, and that's what he did in his life. Uh, I mean, what you know, the temptations that Satan had in the wilderness were about. Uh, rejecting the suffering he was going through, either through the fasting or the future suffering that he knew he was going to have to go through, either through rejection or through ultimately the cross. And he says, hey, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. You can have Babylon, basically, if you just bow down to me. You can you can skip the hard part. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and But Jesus knew there there is no new heaven, new earth, no suffering, no tear without the suffering part. Right. With without going through death first, and uh, and that's the that's hard. It does not feel good to suffer. I I am I am not good at that. <laughs> uh, it is so easy to just be yeah comfortable and and to live in that. And you you go back to the prostitute imagery in in Revelation, and so much of it is about like riches and commerce, and it's all the things that buy comfort and uh, and protect you. You think from any sort of discomfort or suffering. And uh, and yet, those are the things that uh, Satan is using to seduce us with. Mm-hmm. I, I also think that um, that seduction that we see and how Satan is going to seduce us through 
things that look good. He's not going to come in a way that's obviously evil, but mm. he's going to do the things that look right, that look good, and it's going to suck in people. It's going it, and it's going to deceive people. And um, with that as a huge warning, I think for us as a church and for us as individuals to be on guard for that. It made me think when we went through that. I think that was Revelation 13, where we saw, where we saw even Satan is presenting an unholy Trinity that looks like the Father, mm -hmm. Son, and the Spirit. But it's actually Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. And people are going to be deceived by that. And it made me think of how people even, even today have fallen prey, even in our current day, uh, and have abandoned their faith because the prevailing teachings of this world seem right. They sound good. But if you dig in deeply or if you go a little bit further in, you discover they're actually in contradiction to the Word of God. And, and I've seen that happen with friends. I've seen that happen with family members. And I've seen it happen in both political directions yeah. where, where there's a, there's a kernel of truth in there. You know, like, you know, we, we hear, you know, we, we want to love and we want to have compassion. And, and so, yeah, well, I want to do that. And all of a sudden we find ourselves sucked into that. And now we're, now we're finding ourselves in contradiction to things that scriptures say about that. Or, or we hear that, uh, we, we hear that we want to, we hear from people saying that, you know, we, we want Christianity to have influence in our country. And then all of a sudden we, we get into that. And before you know it, We've discovered that all of that really is being taught is that power is more important than humility, mm. and and we so easily hear these good things that that are being taught to us. But as soon as we dig a little bit deeper, we discover we're in contradiction to the very word of God. And man, we have to be so careful of that, and we have to be careful. Where where am I being seduced? Where where are the things that I'm reading and hearing? The podcasts I'm listening to, the books I'm reading, the newspapers I'm looking at. Where are they in contradiction to Scripture? Or am I allowing myself to be brought through what perceives to be a Christian thing on the surface, but isn't when you really dig in deep. Mm. Well, that's a warning that we all need to have even today, even before the end times. Yeah, I, I that deception is, is so key. I One of the verses, it's not from Revelation, but that that like haunts me uh, constantly. <laughs> uh, just uh, maybe that says more about me, but that it, it, it just really works its way into my brain sometimes is where Jesus says in Matthew, uh, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so, I mean, that that's deception on a whole other level. You think you're doing things for the Lord, and he's like, no. Yeah. And, and so mm -hmm. just... That that idea that you can even be using his name and uh, you know working in a church or or doing uh, charity and, and this is and, they're actually can, doing miracles they're doing yeah. signs and wonders <laughs> didn't we demons. didn't we cast out demons yeah. in your name and and still Jesus says I never knew you yeah and so I I just think like that that's where we we cannot be proud and and yeah. cannot be so self deceived that we think we've arrived or don't need to constantly be examining our heart uh, according to scripture and being in community where community can come around and, and show us our blind spots because we have them. Mm -hmm. You know, the reason why we don't see them is because they're a blind spot. <laughs> and and yeah. so uh, all of this, yeah, that verse just, man, works its way into you if you really think about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I think too, you know, as you were talking about that seduction thing I and, and how it's it's going to fool us because it is going to be a good thing. 
I, I think of just as, you know, as a dad raising kids. And I think of all the things that we can do for our kids that everyone would say, that's really good. And yet how quickly it can bring about idolatry mm -hmm. for our family. And in some ways it can introduce it. We can actually be used by the enemy to introduce that to our kids, mm -hmm. which is just a, my wife and I have been talking about this a lot. Uh, and, and uh, as we're navigating just different decisions in that. And, and one of the things that I feel really challenged with is not only in my own walk and the idolatry, but also like as a dad, how am I also, when it comes to the family that God has gifted us to steward, how, how am I helping to guard against idolatry entering our home, uh, for our kids who are still young enough to where they're, they're naive, you know? So it, it's a, man, it's a big one. And, and I think Steve, you said idolatry rarely happens with something evil. It's, it's yeah. not. We we make idols of good things, yeah. mm -hmm. and and so we're, we're if we're just on guard for being um, t building idols out of an evil thing, yeah. th that's not where the that's not where we're going to fall. It's yeah. going to Satan's going to take something that is good, yeah, and he's going to make that the ultimate, and right. that's where we're going to fall prey. Good, good stuff. Um, I I think that you know one of the things that and we we've talked about this a little bit too is. I think anytime you go through the book of Revelation, you're confronted with the urgency you're called to live with. Mm. And I think that's been something that's been really helpful. I know for myself, as I've studied this, is there's a level of urgency in relationships and conversations that I can feel uh, that I, I think I needed. I needed that. And, uh, and I was thankful that going through this book has really helped me in that. I, when you come to the end of Revelation and... Um, John says, come, Lord Jesus, come. I That resonates with me, mm. but but there's also at the same time a part of me that says, not yet, Jesus. Yep. Mm. Not yet, because I have family members. Yep. I've got friends who don't know Jesus. Yeah. And so don't come yet, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's still work to be done. I want them to hear the gospel. I want them to respond. And so I've got these competing emotions inside of me. On the yeah. one hand, come, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. Take yeah. me home. Uh, but at the same time, not yet. And that yeah. that urgency should be there every moment that when I've got that opportunity to know it's, this isn't, this time is not going to last forever. And, um, that's that competing emotion. I think we need to keep that tension inside of us. Yeah, Come yeah. Lord Jesus, but not yet. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's good. Um, I think in just closing, uh, I think that we, that we want to really be reminded as, as we've studied this book, that this book, you know, it starts off with, declaring this is the revelation of jesus christ and so it's just that reminder that at the end of the day whenever we go into this book there should be an excitement and an anticipation because we're going to see jesus mm -hmm. and uh and and john was so blown away remember john was so blown away by what he was seeing he just dropped and started worshiping unfortunately it was an angel uh so it was wrong but but i mean he's just so amazed over and over again at what uh, at what he sees. And, and I just, man, one of the other things, I, I'll say this, I, I think our vision of God is, is so small. And, 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 and Revelation challenges us in that vision of God that we have, uh, that his glory replaces any light source that we would need uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. And so I, I just, I want to encourage us. This is the revelation of Jesus. 
Uh, the promise that we see in Revelation is what? That you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. Uh, it says for reading this out loud and for doing this, for keeping it, for obeying it and applying it into your life. And then lastly, we're called to endure. We are called to endure with urgency. Uh, why? Because we are in the last days. That's why John is told to open this sucker up. We're to <laughs> preach it, to teach it, declare it. We're not We're not Daniel anymore. We're not to seal it up until the right time. It, it is the time. Uh, these are the last days. And so we know that Christ's return is imminent. And, and so we're to live in light uh, of that with uh urgency. Anything else, you guys, before we before we close our time? I, I would just say, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm. And that's where we started. It's where we end. Mm. And even when we get to chapter 21 and we see streets paved with gold, we see we see gems in a city, in a beautiful city. And, and even that, what you said, the verse four, that, that there's no more tears, there's no more pain, no more, no more death. That's awesome. Yeah. But, but why? Why will there be no more tears? Why will there be no more pain? Why is there no more death? It's because we're going to be in the very presence of our Savior. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that should be our excitement, that mm-hmm. this is the revelation of Jesus. And it says in 1 John 3, we will see him as he is. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get excited about that, um, and I don't know I don't know what to do with you. I mean, that's, that, <laughs> that, is, that is it. I want to see the revelation of Jesus revealed, and I, I want to be able to see him. You know, there's that old hymn. It is well with your soul, and it says, Oh, Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. Mm. And I long for that day. Mm. Well, thank you for joining us today, our last recorded podcast uh, for Revelation Conversations. Uh, I'd love to invite you to join us in person this Sunday at 8.30 or 10.30 or online at 10.30 as well.